Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay. And I just want to say hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening. We're so glad you're there. It is summertime. We are past Memorial Day, and it's time to go to the beach. Yes. Uh, we are uh, so grateful to all of our uh, faithful uh, listeners and uh, viewers out there. Uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in, uh, and uh, hope that you're enjoying uh, the uh, beginning of your summer, and if you're on the southern hemisphere, the beginning of your winter. Uh, thank you all so much again for uh, listening, and if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, we'd like to welcome you. Uh, we've got quite the show going on here. Uh, the way that we do things is that in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that that person was born. She will then do her best to give a blind reading of this chart, telling us what she can about the person's motivations, personality traits, fortunes of this mystery history guest. Uh, I will then reveal to her who our historical figure is, and then give a little background about the person, and then we'll come together at the end, figure out how accurate the chart was at determining what that person would do. Without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a female. Uh-huh. Born on the 6th. Okay. Of October. All right. 1820. Ooh, okay. Any idea what time? 6 p.m. Oh, 6 p.m. That's so good. All right. And where in the world? The United States. Uh-huh. And what town? Oh, I'm sorry. It's not the United States. I went into... <gasps> what? Um, uh, I don't know what happened there. It is not the United States. <laughs> it is uh, Sweden. Sweden, yeah. Okay, Sweden. Well, apparently Texas there is an go. option. 
So is Wisconsin <laughs> as an option for a country. That's interesting. Okay, I like it that Texas is an option. Uh, okay, and what Stockholm. town? Stockholm. This one. Okay, let's take a look at this. So a female born on October 6, 1820, 6 p.m., Stockholm, Sweden. Well, all right then. Okay. Well, do you see this? Yeah. That's a that's an interception, all right. It's the big, it's the big interception. It's a very big one. Okay, so in this, because people who are in locations that are this far away from the equator, when you do the Placidus, um, uh, trop Western tropical astrology with Placidus houses, it can have more than one interception. From what I'm looking at right here, we have. Uh, Virgo and Libra both intercepted, okay, which means we also have Pisces and Aries both intercepted. Now, it is possible that this is, but see, that is, all, that's Leo, but this is Leo also. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, we don't have a house cusp for Virgo, for Libra, for Pisces, or for Aries. So, that is something to keep in mind. So, that means we have two house cusps in Cancer, two house cusps in Leo, two house cusps in Aquarius, and two house cusps in Capricorn. You see that? Mm-hmm. Very, 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 very interesting. I'm not sure that we've had anybody else that has two interceptions. But let's start with the planets. Okay, so we have Sun at 13 degrees Libra, Moon at 6 degrees Libra, Mercury at 16 degrees Libra, Venus at 27 degrees Leo, Mars at 9 degrees Scorpio, Jupiter at 15 degrees Pisces, Saturn at 9 degrees Aries, Uranus at 25 degrees Sagittarius, Neptune at 28 degrees Sagittarius, Pluto at 27 degrees Pisces, North Node at 22 degrees Pisces, Chiron at 0 degrees Aries, and the Ascendant is at 20 degrees Taurus. Okay. Oof. This is a lot. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Okay. All right. So this is all the 12th house. You see this? Okay. So what I'm going to do, because this chart is so unique, is I'm going to open this chart in another window as well. But I'm going to put it in equal houses. So I can go back and forth. Okay. Because I want to make sure that um, I can see everything there is to see here. All right. Okay. So this is going to might help me uh, interpret. Okay. Because see their Midhaven is way over here in the eighth house. You see that? Uh -huh. Even in the equal house chart, their Midhaven is in the eighth house. In the... Placidus, their midhaven is in the, at the end of the eighth house. It's just there. Okay. 
So let's just start with the rising sign, which is Taurus, which is ruled by Venus, which is uh, beauty, um, steadfastness, um, a person who um, can be easygoing, meaning because of their Venusian, you know, because Venus rules Taurus, they can be easy, slow to temper. But when you get to that temper, you have crossed the line that is going to get the bull. It's going to get the horns. You know what I mean? So they're in, in the, um, in the Placidus house chart, there's nothing in the first house. In the equal house chart, there's nothing in the first house. All right. So, uh, let's go to the second house, which is ruled by Gemini. There's nothing in that house, but, um, second house ruled by Gemini is also not going to give you a deep um, love of material things because Geminis are more about the cerebral, the, the, the adventure, the, the, um, uh, the feeling of doing something as opposed to owning it. You know what I mean? Like they don't necessarily have to have a ton of riches which sometimes means they do because they're not that attached to it, you know, but they would be very generous with it. Should be very generous with it. Third house cusp in the Placidus house chart is uh cancer and third house cusp in the equal house chart is also cancer. This gives you a kind of a nurturing way of expressing yourself, uh, could be kind, could be very feminine way of expressing yourself because the moon rules cancer and the moon is feminine. The sun is masculine. Uh, so, uh, very interesting. No planets in that house, but just that nurturing way about the third house. Now in the Placidus house chart, uh, we have fourth house is cancer. There is nothing in that house, but the third house cusp and the fourth house cusp in the Placidus chart is cancer. Um, so per the Placidus house chart, there would be a very nurturing way about the home and nurturing uh, the immediate family and nurturing the community and everything that has to do with the fourth house. Um, also being very emotional with your private, um, thoughts and, uh, the things that you keep most private, there would be, um, it would be an emotional situation as opposed to, let's say your fourth house cause was Capricorn 
which would be more uh, controlling the emotions in this situation with the fourth house cusp in the Placidus house chart being cancer, it would be more about the emotions. Okay. Now in the equal house chart, the fourth house cusp is Leo. So when we, if we know this person and we know what their home was like, uh, we can determine by this experiment, if their home was more domestic, you know, uh, a place where food and nurturing and things like that happened, or was it more dramatic? Was it a more dramatic place to be? So this is kind of a interesting experiment to have with Placidus, you know, interception or not. Um, in the Placidus house chart, because that fourth house is ruled by a cancer, there are no planets in there. All right. But in the, in the equal house chart, because that house cusp is Leo, we have Venus at 27 degrees Leo in the fourth house, which is over dramatic. I mean, not, not like overly dramatic, but it's much more dramatic and more material materialistic than the house on the Placidus chart. You're talking about her home? Uh Uh-huh, her home. Because see, in the equal house chart, she has her Venus falls in her fourth house in Leo, which is going to be dramatic belongings, dramatic way of loving. Um, uh, Items. Her, Her your, Ven- your Venus rules how you love and what you love, you know? So for a woman, it's how she, it's how she shows her love. And, uh, Leos are known for being excellent gift givers and wanting to shower people with gifts. And she has, uh, Venus there, uh, which would be, uh, gifty. And also, um, liking to receive gifts, you know, and probably receiving a lot of gifts in her home from people. Okay. So, uh, in this Placidus chart, her, it's her fifth house that is ruled by Leo and also her sixth house that is ruled by Leo because she has a double interception. So, in the Placidus house chart, her Venus falls in the fifth house in Leo. And that would make her double, uh, Leo ish in that fifth house, you know, because Leo rules the fifth house and the sun rules Leo. So fifth house represents Leo things like leadership and entertainment and entertaining and, um, fun things like hobbies and, and, um, uh, romance and, um, children. So it represents all those things in the Placidus house chart, her, her, her Venus falls there. So it would give her a love of all those things more because her Venus is in Leo. So it sort of magnifies that fifth house in Leo, you know? 
But in the equal house chart, it is her fourth house. So it's more about her home. In the Placidus house chart, we have no planets in Virgo, which is helpful because <laughs> she has no Virgo house cusp. All right. Uh, so in her Placidus chart, uh, her sixth house encompasses Virgo, Libra, and part of Scorpio. So it's huge. Uh, in the equal house chart, her fifth house is ruled by Virgo, right? You see this? Mm -hmm. But she has moon, sun, and Mercury in Libra in her fifth house, because midway through the fifth house in this equal chart, uh, a little less than midway, but then, uh, we have her Libra house, uh, it changes to Libra in the fifth house. So on one hand, we have Venus in Leo in the fifth house in her Placidus chart. All right. Then on the other hand, we have moon, sun, and Mercury in Libra in the fifth house. Now, oddly enough, <laughs> that kind of balances out because Venus rules Libra. Okay. So where in this chart in her fifth house, she has Venus in Leo in the fifth house. It kind of measures out to having sun, moon, and Mercury in Libra in the fifth house. Does that make sense? No. Okay. So let me try to explain it again. Venus rules Libra. Okay, got okay. Venus is the planet that rules Libra. In the Placidus house chart, her Venus, which is which rules Libra, is in Leo. Uh-huh. In the Placidus house chart. So it's sort of like an exchange because in the equal house chart, all of these planets are in Libra. But not so the Venus. So it's almost like it equals out. No, but but they're all ruled by Venus. So you have three planets ruled by Venus in the fifth house in this chart, the equal house chart, and you have Venus ruled by Leo in the fifth house in the Placidus chart. So it's almost like, it's almost like an exchange, uh, between the two, making the power the same. It doesn't really change the dynamic as much because she has so much Libra in the fifth house in this equal house chart. Her moon, her emotions are connected to Venus and Libra. Her sun, her way of being is in Libra, which is connected to Venus. Her Mercury, her way of communicating is in Libra. So I would say that if this woman were in show business, she would be known as being very, not only very pretty, but also behaving pretty, if that makes any sense in, in the outer world, in her, in her performance, if that makes any sense. Uh, now we're going to go to, uh, keeping in mind that all of these planets in Libra, in the Placidus chart have to be activated by something else because they are intercepted 
There's no house cusp. For you guys that are new to astrology, um, when I put this out on YouTube, you're going to have a lot better understanding by what I'm showing you on the video. All right. Um, now in the Placidus house chart, her, um, Mars is in Scorpio. In the Placidus house chart, all of these planets fall in her sixth house, which is work and day to day. All right. So where we have in the Placidus house chart, Venus in Leo in the fifth house, which is performing and loving to perform and being a performer, uh, being a, like a, a very feminine should be depending on whatever she was, if she wasn't a performer, but you know, I always go for performing. And then in the sixth house, sun, moon, Mercury, and Mars, all in the sixth house with Mars being in Scorpio and the sun, moon, and Mercury being in Libra. All right. This all is a very powerful sixth house of work. All right. And when we get to the other side, it's going to be uh, dealing with all of this karma in the 12th house. Okay. Because all this is in the 12th house in the Placidus chart. Now, when we go to the equal house chart, only the Mars in Scorpio is in the sixth house, but either way, she has a very heavy sixth house of, of ambition and determination within her day to day work. All right. Is any of this making sense? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. So her seventh house cusp is Scorpio in her Placidus house chart. And there's no planets in there. But in the Placidus house chart, she could be a very intense partner. All right. Because it's Scorpio. And uh, Scorpio is very um, powerful and, uh, intense meaning. Like I believe if a Scorpio is really interested in you, they are deep in it. You know, they don't see anything as casual. It's very intense for them. Now, if we go to her equal house chart again, her seventh house is in Scorpio. All right. But midway through, it changes to Sagittarius, which technically also happens here. So <laughs> this is the first time I've gone back and forth. So I'm starting to confuse myself. So I hope you listeners are doing okay. Just hang in there. It all goes into the subconscious and then it figures itself out. But um, in her chart, with um, having Scorpio on that seventh house cusp, this person has two sides to how they deal with partnerships because they have Mars and Scorpio. So they, they can be very into, uh, the relationship, but with Sag showing up halfway through, they could be, um, intense with different people, like different partners having uh intense relationships with different people like 
you have an intense relationship with this one and then that ends. And then you have another intense relationship and that one ends and that's possible. But also we've seen in the past that when people have Sagittarius in their seventh house, they could be interested in people of a different culture or a different land being from somewhere else. So there's that. Okay. So let me go back to the Placidus house chart and the eighth house cusp has Neptune at 28 degrees conjunct by degree Uranus at 25 degrees in Sagittarius in the eighth house. Now by this Placidus chart with these planets in the eighth house, there should have been an awful lot of travel. Um, uh, maybe even, uh, cr creativity through travel. Um, and, 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 having Uranus there is unexpected. So that's unexpected legacy, unexpected. Uh, it could be unexpected um, inheritance. It can be unexpected situations with your partner's money, uh, partners possibly hiding money unexpectedly. Now I'm looking at the Placidus house chart. Let's see. Same thing. Same thing for the equal house, because in the equal house chart, we have Neptune conjunct um, Uranus in Sagittarius in the eighth house. And with the Midhaven there. So somehow this situation with other people's money because eighth house represents other people's money. It also represents hidden things and secret things and taboo things. So something having to do with that. This person has Midhaven in Capricorn, which where she has the second house cusp where she's really kind of not connected so much to money. Having Midhaven in Capricorn is going to replace that with a more, it, with more interest in money and finances and, uh, financial gain. And her Midhaven is in the eighth house in her equal house chart. For that chart, it would be an interest in your partner's finances and possibly, uh, somehow, some, some control maybe over this Neptune and Uranus and Sag with this Capricorn. Capricorn is control. It's ruled by Saturn, which is control. She has her Midhaven in, oh, did I say before that? Going back and forth. Uh, I hope this isn't too confusing, but her Midhaven is in Capricorn in both, in both charts, but in the Placidus house chart, her Midhaven is in the ninth house. So she doesn't, it's not so much connected to partners, money and partners finances as it is in her own, uh, dogma and, um, philosophy and her own something about travel and higher learning in the Placidus house chart. What, We're going to uh, see which. What about that? What about well, travel in, in and the, dogma? In the Placidus house chart, 
She her midhaven is in the ninth house. See, uh-huh. her ninth house is ruled by Capricorn, and her tenth house is ruled by Capricorn. But her midhaven is falling in the ninth house in her placid chart. So your midhaven is your career. Your midhaven is your outside world. Your midhaven in Capricorn is going to have to do with finances and 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 uh business and entrepreneurship and executive positions in control positions because it's saturn which is control and capricorn and so something about maybe traveling for business uh something like that okay and then uh her 10th house cusp is also in Capricorn and it, it is, um, it does change to Aquarius right there. See it Chandler? Yeah. She has two houses in Capricorn and she has two houses in Aquarius in the Placidus chart. So, uh, 10th house, she's going to have to need in the Placidus chart, she's going to need control over her career. And have this kind of entrepreneurship about her. Now, in the equal house chart, she has Capricorn on the ninth house. And then she has Aquarius on the tenth house. And um, Aquarius on the tenth house is going to be more humanitarian with your career. or totalitarian with your career she in the placidus house chart her 11th house is aquarius and her 12th house is aquarius so 11th house aquarius um aquarius rules the 11th house and uranus rules aquarius so if we're going with the placidus house chart she should have her career connected to large groups of people. All right. She, in the Placidus house, uh, chart, she doesn't have any planets in there, but that's like double Aquarius on the 11th house, you know, in the equal house chart, her 10th house is ruled by Aquarius, which would be, uh, a career with a humanitarian aspect to it um groups of people uh and she has jupiter in pisces in her 10th house in the equal house chart so having jupiter in the 10th house in pisces is going to be a very creative benevolent career with something healing because it's pisces so there's something healing about it spiritually healing more so than you know virgo healing which is tactical technical healing now when we go back to the placidus house chart her 11th her 12th house is also ruled by aquarius and in that 12th house in the placidus chart she has jupiter north node pluto all in pisces in the 12th house. She also has Chiron and Saturn in Aries in the 12th house. 
So, um, this is karma with all these things. These are things that she's coming in with into this lifetime, wanting to address, wanting to work on, wanting to um, live this Jupiter conjunct North Node conjunct Pluto by sign in Pisces. And she does have North Node conjunct Pluto by degree in Pisces. So uh, that's a lot of 12th house um, because it, it spans this whole thing. And, and keeping in mind that this Placidus chart, she would need Pisces activation and um, Aries activation if we're looking at the Placidus house chart. When we look at the equal house chart, we have Jupiter falling in her 10th house, but Jupiter at 15 degrees is conjunct by a wide degree North node. And then that North node is absolutely conjunct Pluto, but her North node, her Pluto, her Chiron and her Saturn all fall in the 11th house. When we look at the equal house chart. Okay. That's a different animal. Because she has Jupiter in, in the equal house chart. She has Jupiter and Pisces in the 10th house, which, which is benevolent career. All right. Creative, possibly some sort of healing involved with that. Then in her 11th house, this is all going to deal with groups of people. Okay. Crowds, groups of people, friends, groups of friends with North node conjunct Pluto. That's very powerful. Uh, cause Pluto is power. Also death and rebirth, uh, the, the favor with the groups of people could go in and out. It's possible. Um, but she has to learn that because it's conjunct her North node. And it's something about creatively healing, using creative creativity to heal. Then she has Chiron conjunct Saturn by degree in Aries. Chiron is the wounded healer. So she has lessons to learn so she can heal. And that is the lesson because it's connected to Saturn. So her, it's something having to do with maybe passion, warlike things, ambition, all the things that Aries represents, which is ruled by Mars. So we have two, two different, um, we, all the planets are going to be the same, no matter if we have interceptions or not. The issue is, are they activated or are they not activated? And currently you're the only one who knows the answer to that. Well, besides all the listeners, cause they know who this is, but I don't know who it is. So, um, do you have any questions? Well, yeah. Uh, first question is what role would religion play in her life? Well, if we look at either way, her ninth house is ruled by Capricorn. All right. Her ninth house is ruled by Capricorn in the Placidus chart or in the equal house chart. So religion for her, the house that houses your religion and your dogma for her, either way, it's ruled by Capricorn, which is control which could make her very dogmatic 
it could make her very nun-like. You know what I mean? Having Capricorn on your ninth house can make you very devout. How would groups of people respond to her? In the Placidus house chart, her 11th house is ruled by Aquarius. She doesn't have anything in that house, in the Placidus house chart. But when your 11th house, which is ruled by Aquarius in, in the chart system, and has to do with groups of people, Israel by Aquarius, that would seem very humanitarian, right? Then her 11th house in the equal house chart has her North node conjunct Pluto in Pisces. And then she has Chiron conjunct Saturn in Aries, in Aries, in the 11th house. So she has a very heavy 11th house. I would think, first of all, that with this size of an 11th house, she was forced to be involved in groups of people per this equal house chart. And it is her, it's part of her direction. It's her North node. In the Plastis house chart, there's nothing in it, but it is all about humanitarian issues because it's Aquarius. So I'll know more if I know who this is. Uh, once we, you know, know who it is. What profession would she go into? Well, she has some options in her profession. Um, with Venus and Leo, uh, she could love performing or she could love children. She could love leading and leadership and all of the above. Uh, in her equal house chart, in her fifth house, she has moon conjunct sun conjunct um, Mercury in Libra, which also makes her very, um, it makes her very uh, equal, balanced, with regard to leadership things on one hand, if she is not in any kind of show business, if she is in show business, it would make her um, really talented and more than likely very pretty. With And like she was known for being pretty. And this is the Eagle House chart. Now if I go back to the Placidus House chart, uh, she has Venus in Leo in the fifth house, which is just as powerful in that children, leadership, you know, Leo things. So there's all that. But she also has Midhaven in Capricorn, which makes her smart about the business, any business. Okay. And then in the Placidus uh, chart, in the Placidus chart, she has all of this, all these planets in Pisces and Aries. And in the equal house chart, she has Jupiter in her 10th house, which is a creative career because it's in Pisces. And then in her 11th house, which is ruled by Aquarius and Uranus, she has all of these uh, very powerful aspects. She's got North Node conjunct Pluto and Chiron conjunct Saturn in her 11th house which is 
compassionate direction and healing the people. How would she be with money? Well, her midhaven is in Capricorn. And so she should be able to have a good sense of money. Uh, in her Placidus chart, she has Neptune conjunct Uranus in her eighth house in Sag. In her equal house chart, she has Neptune conjunct Uranus in the eighth house in Sag, but her midhaven falls in her eighth house there. At this point, Chandler, between the two, is there one or the other that sounds more accurate that maybe I should just jump to the equal one or stay with the Placidus one? Uh, the, there's, there, there are parts of each that okay. work out. Um, yeah, that kind of does. O- that's, overall, yeah. I think the Placidus makes a lot of sense. But okay. the, there, are, there are bits and pieces of each that make more sense. And I think that this, this shows to people that mm-hmm. uh, really going to the inquirer and looking at your sign as to yeah. what your horoscope might be uh, doesn't even scrape the surface of the nuances and complications that are involved here. Uh, yes. Because we're not even dealing with, no matter what, the planets are where they are and they're in uh-huh. the signs that they're on. Now right. we are just dealing with the compartment, how you categorize yes. these things uh, yes. and how that can all be determined only by knowing the place that you were born. So I can only imagine that the entire country of Sweden has nothing but interceptions. Uh, it's very possible. Because uh, they are so far apart. And maybe you go down uh, to the equator and everything's just equal all the time. Uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, th- this is um, uh, uh, very interesting. To, and it's just minor nuances. And, and, mm-hmm. and even then, when it changes, it doesn't change a whole lot. It's still... Right. Either way, you're dealing with somebody who's dealing with groups of people. It's just yes. uh, a, a hair this way or a hair that way determines uh, just a little bit more about them. But both yes. of them end up being the same person. And it, end up, it, it ends up making a lot of sense, but it's just... How you look at it, how you right. how you put these things into the compartments. Yes, and that's all at the discretion of the chart reader. Uh, meaning, does your chart reader read Placidus and include interceptions or not? Because many chart readers do whole house signs, which start each house at zero, which means that your planets are going to fall in completely different houses. So there's a lot, there's a lot of information, but okay, well then let's just keep going and I'll keep looking at both of them just because this one is so interesting. And because it has a double interception instead of a single interception, that does make a big difference as to how things are assessed, meaning how do you access the Virgo and the Pisces? How do you access, you know? Okay. So what's your next question? Uh, Do you have any other final first impressions? I'm going to say I would like to think that I would really like her, 
because she has a lot of creativity and a lot of energy. And I think she probably likes children. Unless she has the bad aspects of everything, then I wouldn't like her. But um, she definitely has a very dynamic chart, no matter how you look at it, you know. She has uh, a, a fairly... You know, I mean, she does have these groups of planets on these, on this axis right here, back and forth, you know, between the 12th and 6th houses. So I'm going to wait and hear what you have to say and even see if I even know her. So I'm excited to find out who it is. Well, I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. First thing you said is that uh, she'd be uh, beautiful and steadfast. Uh, she'd be easygoing, slow to temper, but once uh, made angry, then you'd need to watch out. Um, not a deep love of material things. Someone who values experiences and adventure over material things. Generous with her belongings. She, is, uh, she has a nurturing way of expressing herself. Very feminine. Very emotional with her private thoughts. Possibly a dramatic home, a dramatic way of living, or of loving. A gift giver, someone who is showering people with gifts and who receives a lot of gifts in the home. She has a love of entertainment, leadership, and children. Uh, she, if in the, uh, if in show business, she would be known as being very pretty and as behaving very pretty. A very feminine performer. Lots of ambition in her day-to-day. -day. Uh, she would be an intense partner. Uh, romantic. Uh, this would go, her intensity would be involved in romantic partners and in other partnerships. Uh, and she possibly has an attraction to a foreign culture when looking at, at a partner. Lots of travel in her life. Creativity through travel. Uh, and an unexpected legacy connected to travel and other people's money. Uh, career connected to religion, uh, partner's money, and travel. Uh, travel for business. She needs control over her career. She would be an entrepreneur. A uh, humanitarian with her career. Career is connected to large groups of people. She is creative and benevolent in her career. Uh, she is spiritually healing. Crowds and groups of people. She has a power over crowds and groups of people. And there's a death and rebirth uh, with her relationship with crowds. Her purpose is nurturing people with creativity. Religion in her life is very important. She'd be very dogmatic, nun-like, a very devout person. Uh, she is forced to be involved with groups of people. She has a love of performing, leadership, and children. Uh, she uh, would be balanced in leadership. She'd be very talented and very pretty. She'd be very smart about business. She has good financial sense. Uh, she has mom's seal of approval. <laughs> uh, she'd be very creative and energetic and love children. Is there anything that I've left out? No, that's it. Would you like to know whose chart you've been looking at? I would. I hope I know who they are. 
This is the astrological birth chart of one of the biggest superstars of 1800s culture, Miss Jenny Lind. <gasps> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm very excited to hear about her. Uh, so Jenny Lind, uh, she uh, was a singer. She was known as the Swedish Nightingale. Uh, she performed all over Europe, uh, was one of Queen Victoria's uh, favorite artists, and in the 1850s uh, made a whirlwind tour of the United States, all organized by P.T. Barnum. Uh, if any of you uh, have watched The Greatest Showman, the film that was made a few years ago uh, with a much more handsome uh, P.T. Barnum. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Or if you're familiar with the Barnum musical that was made around the 70s and 80s. Um, that both of those chose to have Ginny Lind as some sort of um, distraction in Barnum's life, that there's some romantic connection between the two. And really, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, she uh, was a very devoutly religious person uh, and uh, was not uh, having any sort of romantic relationship with P.T. Barnum. Um, but uh, that's how she's been used in our modern culture today. Uh, so I thought it was important to learn a little bit more about her and and really as one of, especially in, in the American culture, one of the first superstars. Uh, so uh, she was born uh, Clara Joanna Lind. Uh, she was the illegitimate daughter of Nicholas and Anne Marie uh, Lind. Uh, Anne Marie had had a divorce and she refused to get married again. Uh, yeah. And then uh, when she finally did marry Nicholas, but it was when Jenny was uh, 14 years old. Uh, Nicholas was a bookkeeper and Anne Marie uh, was a school teacher and she ran a women's home in Stockholm. Okay. At just three years old, uh, the story goes that Lind uh, was. Uh, in, in the house, in the woman's home, and she heard the soldiers go by playing their bugles. And she was so captivated by it that she ran to the piano and she played what the buglers were playing note for note. Wow. And that's how her grandmother discovered uh, her amazing musical talent. Mm. Uh, at nine years old, she was uh, in uh, the same home and she was singing a song to her cat. And the maid uh, was cleaning up and, and heard her singing the song. And it was such a captivating voice uh, that she uh, was also uh, involved with the uh, Royal Theater Company and uh, organized for young Lynn to have an audition. And at nine years old, she became the youngest girl ever uh, to attend the Royal Theater Company uh, in uh, Sweden. Wow. Uh, and just one year later, at 10, uh, she began her stage career. Uh, in March of 1838, at 17 years old, she starred in Weber's uh, De Freischutz. Uh, so this was an opera, and she became uh, nationally known then. Uh, and everyone uh, talked about how wonderfully beautiful her voice was, but she didn't receive the best training uh, in her school, especially for the vocal range that she had. And so she was... Uh, put into a lot of performances, but overworked and exhausted, and she didn't have all the best techniques, and her voice would go away uh, for 
uh, many times during her career. Uh, and so she was taken to a school in Paris uh, where another uh, music teacher was able to give her the better techniques and give her rest. She didn't sing for three months and then uh, she was able to build up her voice again. Uh, she then toured uh, Denmark, and there uh, she met a young Hans Christian Andersen. And Ooh. Andersen fell madly in love with her. Uh, many people credit him with being the first one to call her the Swedish Nightingale. And uh, he wrote uh, many things. She is seen as the muse for many of uh, Andersen's great works, uh, including The Nightingale, uh, Beneath the Pillar, um, uh, The Angel, uh, and even The Ugly Duckling. Uh, she, uh, some people would make fun of her for her features, but say that she completely transformed when she was on stage, that her voice came from within, completely changed even the way that she looked. Wow. Uh, the feeling was not reciprocal. Uh, so, uh, Jenny Lynn did not feel the same way about Anderson. And, oh, no. uh, once that was made clear, she, uh, was the muse for him once again. And, uh, he wrote, uh, the Snow Queen with the <gasps> wicked iced heart, uh, was also supposed to be, uh, inspired by Jenny Lind. Uh, but he once said about her uh, that uh, he was one of the, she was one of the greatest muses in his life, and no one had influenced him more, and that she opened a, a, a sanctuary of art to me. Hmm. In 1844 and 45, uh, she goes to Germany and Austria and has a lot of performances uh, all throughout uh, the uh, empire and uh, lots of opera uh, performances. And uh, she is admired by all of the great composers in Vienna, Schumann, uh, Mendelssohn, uh, all start um, uh, wanting her to be uh, in their next uh, performances. Uh, and uh, she's and and already people are talking about what eventually would be called lindomania. Uh, people would hear the sweet voice and just go absolutely crazy. And uh, th like we talked about with List uh, many years ago, um, yeah. just uh, a fervor among the people to to know her and and to have a piece of her. And uh, so there were all sorts of demonstrations that would go on in any town that she was performing in. Um, this uh, at one point happened in Hamburg, and she was performing at a college in Hamburg and uh, the crowd uh, unhooked the horses from the carriage and carried the carriage themselves throughout the streets uh, because of how much they, they loved uh, this woman singing and one of the men uh, who was going to school there in Hamburg uh, was Otto Goldschmidt and uh, he's going to be a person who comes up later in her life um, but uh, they started a uh, conversing and corresponding because of this great demonstration that happened in Hamburg in uh, the mid-1840s. Also at this point, we start to see her work in, in charity work. Uh, any money that she made, most of it would go back to her family to take care of mm -hmm. her mother and her father. Uh, but whatever was left after that, she would donate to different uh, charity funds. Mm. Uh, she uh, set up schools and she uh, was uh, would give performances to people who could not afford to go to the operas that she was performing in. She was doing all of this entertaining throughout Germany and Austria and uh, was 
all of these people were uh, going crazy for her. And at the same time, she was sort of bridging this gap between the common people and the um, aristocrats. Uh, bo- both fell in love with her and her voice. And uh, she was seen uh, often uh, being... Uh, uh, having dinner with the royal family uh, in Austria, the Habsburg family. In 1847, she uh, leaves the continent and goes to England. And in London, uh, she already had a reputation before her, so Queen Victoria attended her debut performance. And Queen Victoria would attend every single debut performance for every new show that Lind uh, would perform for and wow. uh, absolutely loved her voice and and loved everything about her and loved how pious she was uh, much like queen victoria uh, her religion was very important to her um, mm. this is a time where being a performer was looked at as being just one step above being a prostitute right. uh, so uh, for her for lynn to have this very pious mind uh, and the way that she carried herself everyone understood that about her um, really uh, brought a new respect to the performing arts. In 1849, uh, she had done about two years of performances in England, and her voice was very tired. And uh, she also felt that the performing arts were taking her away uh, from her religious studies. Uh, And so in 1849, she retired. Uh, and uh, did not want to do any more performances. At her final performance, uh, Queen Victoria, the whole royal family, uh, was there to in attendance. Uh, Mendelssohn had come, and, and he was also there. And um, there are some people who say that she struck up some sort of extramarital affair with Mendelssohn, um, but the evidence doesn't necessarily bear any of that out. It's just another fantastic story of what if these two got together. Mm-hmm. Um, so she retired. And at that same time, P.T. Barnum, who was this great showman, this great promoter in the United States, but was known for the freak shows, was known for uh, the uh, bearded women and uh, Tom Thumb. In fact, he was in Europe promoting Tom Thumb. Uh, and he wanted to get legitimacy for himself, that he's not just this circus guy, that um, he really, and, and in his private life. He preferred uh, the more classical arts. Uh, So he wanted to bring one of Europe's great stars to America uh, as a way of legitimizing himself, as a way of legitimizing the United States. There were some people who turned their nose up at the country, thinking that there are a whole bunch of hicks out there that they wouldn't appreciate (laughs) opera there. And so Barnum, uh, for both his own reasons and for uh, more altruistic ones, wanted to bring Jenny Lind to America. And even though she had retired, um, she looked at all of the money that Barnum was promising her and looked at all of the things that she could do with that money to help other people. She always wanted to found a school, for, a performing arts school for girls in Stockholm. And with the money that was being promised, Barnum was saying that, she, that he would pay her $1,000 uh, for every performance and that they were going to have 150 performances across America. Wow. That's over $150,000. And there were other people saying, Barnum, he's a, he's a huckster. He's this mm-hmm. circus man. You can't trust him. And so she went with Barnum to the bank in London and saw him deposit the money into the Bank of London before she signed anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, that money was going to be there waiting for her. 
and she decided that she would agree. And so, uh, and Barnum was also going to pay all the expenses, all the hotels, all the travel, and uh, for servants and for the accompanists uh, to come along with her. And so, uh, in uh, 1850, they signed the contracts, and P.T. Barnum goes back to the United States right away because he starts what he does best, the promotion. Uh, mm -hmm. He made Ginny Lind a household name before she had stepped foot on American soil. Uh, through wow. his billboards, through his uh, handbills, through stories that he put into the newspaper, everyone knew who she was before she ever came. So by the time she did come in September of 1850, she crossed in a steamer. She came to New York Harbor and it was uh, a frenzy. There were 30,000 people there at the Harbor waiting for her in, uh, and they were falling off the dock into the, into the uh, bay. They were oh trampling each other, just waiting to get a look at this Ginny Lind who they had seen so much about and were so eager to hear about. And Barnum, of course, knew how to capitalize on all this. Uh, so the tickets, it wasn't just going to be regular ticket sales. Actually, Barnum is sort of the precursor to the ticket master and the things that we have today <laughs> because he auctioned the ticket, the tickets off and especially oh the first tickets and that first performance in September of 1850, the first ticket sold went for $225, which <gasps> is a humongous amount of money back in 1850. Uh, later on, there were tickets that would go for $600, $1,000 a pop. Oh. Uh, and on top of that, of course, Barnum was the uh, premier promoter uh, merchandise. Uh, and you may think, well, it's 1850, what kind of merchandise? People would just start making things that had nothing to do with her and put her name on it. <laughs> and we carry this into our very day. Uh, you can go into antique shops and ask if they have a Ginny Lind chair, if they have a Ginny uh -huh. Lind uh, trunk, if they have a Ginny uh -huh. Lind couch. Because even though they don't necessarily have anything to do with anything that she did, people just put her name on these things to give them more value. Uh, and so uh, all of this is starting to go on. And this is all before she's even saying a note on the continent. Well, on September 11th, 1850, she does the first concert in New York City, packed hall, and it's beautiful. Uh, everyone falls in love with her voice. She truly is the nightingale. And uh, she has several more performances in New York, and they continue on their tour. Uh, so, uh, and, and it was very important to her that she didn't just sing opera, um, that it was important to her that she did sing some, that she brought this classic art to the people, but she wanted to meet the two in the middle. She also wanted to give folk songs, this classic art, um, technique. So she mm -hmm. was also singing the great songs of the day, the Stephen Foster songs, the Oh Susanna and things that we may still know today. She was mm -hmm. singing that along with the opera. And uh, she would also, uh, usually in her performance, she would always have a performance of Handel's um, from the from their Messiah. Uh, I know my Redeemer liveth uh, in me. And so that, that was one of her favorite songs. Uh-huh. Um, the tour continues on, goes New York City, Boston, Toronto, Virginia, South Carolina. She does a concert in Havana. There, they even name cigars after her there. Uh, New Orleans, <laughs> Vicksburg, Memphis, and Washington, D.C., all of the great leaders uh, in the United States were there. The President, Millard Fillmore, Henry Clay, Daniel Webster stood up and started singing along with her. 
um, and New Orleans, uh, the mania. And they, this is where the term Lindo mania is—it's—it's it's, it's now officially coined. Everyone in every town uh, wants uh, to to see her, and in New Orleans. Uh, it, it was near, it was scary how many people were at the dock waiting for her uh, to come off the steamer. And so Barnum comes up with this idea where he will have his daughter put a veil over her face and he will walk down the gangplank with his daughter with this veil and everyone will think that that is Jenny Lind. And so mm-hmm. that's what he did. And so he walks down and everyone chases him and his daughter and then everyone's gone by the time Jenny gets off the boat. Uh-huh. Well, in Cincinnati, all the newspapers had gotten a hold of this. Uh-oh. And so uh the they uh Barnum decides to do the switch again. This time he's actually going to put a veil over Jenny and walk arm in arm with her down the gangplank and leave his <laughs> daughter on the boat. And all the people in Cincinnati were saying, "We know what you did over there in New Orleans. You're not going <laughs> to fool us buckeyes. We know that you have your daughter with you right now and we're going to mm-hmm. wait for Jenny to come off the boat." Mm-hmm. And so Barnum and Jenny went unmolested through uh, Cincinnati and got to the hotel, and everyone was then disappointed to see Barnum's daughter. Uh, After 93 performances and over $500,000 in 1850 money uh, was made during these performances, Barnum and Lynn decide to part. Uh, Even though Mm -hmm. all the requirements of the contract had not been met, uh, both of them were satisfied enough, and uh, they parted amicably. Uh, mm-hmm. but she continues to stay in the United States and she promotes the, her, her concerts herself. And, mm-hmm. uh, all of this, uh, was to raise funds for all of the different causes that she cared about. There, there was very little of it that she was keeping herself. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1851, uh, one of her accompanists decided to go back to Europe and she, uh, uh, wrote a letter to that old uh, German student, uh, Otto uh, uh, Goldschmidt, uh, about coming to America to perform with her. And he mm-hmm. did. And the mm-hmm. two fell in love and they were married in 1852. Oh. Uh, there are lots of different reports about uh it was certainly a culture shock for uh, Lynn to be here in the United States. It was much different than uh, what was going on in England and in Germany and in her native Sweden. Uh, and even within the United States, it was so dramatically different when you go from places like uh, Rhode Island to places like New Orleans. Uh, mm-hmm. And this being before the Civil War, slavery uh, was a large part of uh, the economies in the southern United States. Um, and when you look at reports I, there are people who say that she said a lot of racist things uh, regarding uh, the African American slaves that were kept in the South, uh, mm. but all I, I haven't found anything that was something that she said directly. It was all well, I heard it that she said this, and I heard it that she said that. So it's very unclear. Uh, what is clear is that she does end up donating money to Harriet Beecher Stowe, uh, who mm-hmm. wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, and mm-hmm. that in her performance performance in Boston, uh, Stowe wanted to attend and was not able to get tickets, and so she sent one of her friends to try and convince um, the people in Lynn's uh, company to 
sell her tickets. And Lind, out of the goodness of her heart, just gave her the two best tickets anyway for free. Mm -hmm. And Stowe uh, gave Lind a copy of Uncle Tom's Cabin. And uh, Lind uh, read that and loved the book and would donate uh, to Stowe's cause of of emancipation. Uh, So... Uh, it's a complicated legacy, possibly, that she has, but uh, eventually the, you have to go where the money is, and she was donating money to end uh, slavery in the United States. Yes. Um, one of the, the last stories I'll tell about her great United States trip uh, happens in Pittsburgh. Uh, in Pittsburgh, they booked a theater that could not hold even a portion of the people in the town that wanted to attend the concert. And the people outside the concert were so uh, ravenous about trying to hear uh, Jenny Lind that they made such a ruckus that you could not hear her performing inside the hall. Mm-hmm. And eventually they had to just stop the performance altogether. And Jenny was gen- genuinely afraid for her life. And Bar- mm-hmm. Barnum, he just decides to leave and take his company out. And he knows he's not going to be hurt. And so mm-hmm. he leaves. But Jenny's still very afraid in the theater. And she was there for hours. And eventually they got a cab to come around, a, a horse and buggy cab to come around. And they took her out through the basement, dismantled part of the plank fence so that they could sneak her out and get out. Wow. And from that point on, she said that she would never perform in Pittsburgh again. Wow. So she makes this whirlwind tour all over the United States, Canada, Cuba, all over the place. And then she leaves the United States in May of 1852. Uh, She returns to Europe. She lived for a while. She had uh, married Otto and they were living in Germany. They had three children together. Uh, They moved to England for a while and she continued her concerts. But she was starting to wind down her performances. Uh, She uh, would not uh, perform operas anymore. She would just do concerts, uh, especially for different causes that she believed in. She Mm -hmm. continued her charity work with that money that she made from her great American tour. She was able to set up that school in Stockholm for uh, women performers uh, that Mm -hmm. she wanted to. Um, and she partnered with Otto. Uh, Otto would be the one uh, writing uh, a lot of these concerts and a lot of these performances. And she would work in both teaching people um, how to uh, sing and also singing herself for a lot of these performances. Uh, and then in 1887, uh, she passed away from a cerebral hemorrhage. Uh, she uh, was uh, living in England and um, she became the first woman honored in the poet's corner of Westminster Abbey. Uh, And she uh, was given a place next to Handel, who was the composer that she loved so much. the legacy of this woman there again go into any antique shop look in any mm-hmm. ebay search jenny lind you'll see dolls you'll see trunks you'll see cribs we still use the name a jenny lind crib uh-huh. uh mm-hmm. there there are so many different things that bear her name uh because of uh how many people just loved the sound of her voice and even people who never heard her knew the reputation of her voice and her mm-hmm. talent 
uh, there are ships, uh, there are places still, uh, streets all over the United States, all over Europe, Australia, the world uh, that bear her name. And she became a real icon uh, for the Swedish people. And for a long time, I'm not sure if it is still the same today, but for a long time, uh, the 50 kroner uh, had her image on it. Uh, wow. So uh, she uh, was uh, became a, a Swedish hero and really a, a person um, renowned throughout Europe and the Americas uh, for uh, her great talent and her great charity, how much uh, she uh, loved uh, other people. Uh, it is said that she donated over her lifetime uh, $500,000 in 1850s money. Oh my um, goodness. So that gives you an idea of how much she made in her lifetime, uh, how popular she was, and then her tremendous generosity, um, mm -hmm. uh, to all these different causes. Uh, so, uh, I just, a, a truly, uh, remarkable lady and, and, a, a great performer. And I think that there are a lot of things, uh, in this chart, uh, in both of these charts, uh, however you compartmentalize everything, uh, that make a lot of sense to, uh, who she was. Yes, very much. Um, I'm interested in the uh, accuracy of her time of birth also, because a lot of times I think that people give very well-known singers um, Taurus rising because Taurus rules the throat chakra and their voice. And you do have Taurus rising, Chandler. So your voice, uh, for everyone who knows you and everyone who listens to you can hear that your voice is very distinct. You have a, a very wonderful voice. So in this situation, I can see why maybe, uh, she does have Taurus rising. But what I'm wondering is because of her level, of donations if she didn't have Aquarius on her second house cusp. Because people who have Aquarius on their second house cusp tend to be absolutely uh, humanitarian with their finances. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a lot of things that make sense in her Placidus chart because of the planets that she doesn't have access to and how many people were um, involved with her fame as a, not necessarily her, you know, everything that, everything that, that instigated the next step on the path was created by someone else. She maintained it and she did all of the things, you know, but I'm wondering uh, several things about this. Um, I think that this is a wonderful uh, historic person. And um, I love it that she was so humanitarian. And what a lovely, lovely person. I mean, no matter how you look at it, even if you're just looking at the planets, you know, Having Jupiter conjunct North Node conjunct Pluto in Pisces, the sign that is known as the musician, the muse, the uh, performer, as far as the creativity is concerned, you know, the songwriter, the poet, 
the singer. And then having all of these planets in Libra, which is beauty and, 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 and sweetness, you know, and, and, and lovely Venusian things, the beautiful side of Venus. And then having Venus in Leo, which is performing, which is a love of performing, you know, it's, uh, it, it does really fit. Um, the one thing I would be, uh, interested in is, uh, again, with her uh, moving everything to where we put Aquarius on her second house and how everything might fit, you know, with that being done. Well, uh, that might be something that we uh, look into in the future. I, I think that as it stands right now, there's so much that makes a lot of sense for who she was. Uh-huh. Um, even you, you look at the stuff about her purpose being connected to travel and other mm-hmm. people's money. Um, mm-hmm. That perfectly explains her, her whole United States venture and P.T. Barnum's money and her uh, using that to uh, to heal the people and, uh-huh. and, uh, through performance. Um, there's a, a lot here uh, that makes a lot of sense for her. That's um, true. I think that on our scale of right on the money to way out in <laughs> outer space, uh, this is uh, this is right on the money. This is uh, who um, Jenny Lind was. Pretty close, pretty close, right? I mean, either either chart, you know, um, placements and and activity and um, career, everything. Yeah. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of History and Retrograde. We'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to reach out and support the show, we have uh, all of our social media links posted in the show description. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We have new episodes. Uh, well, n- not necessarily newly recorded, <laughs> but they're new videos of our first season episodes coming up every week. Uh, so uh, please uh, take a look on our YouTube channel. Uh, like those uh, episodes. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Um, every bit helps us in growing the channel uh also if you uh, would like to support the show in another way we have our uh, link to our paypal um uh, account on our show description uh, every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and expanding our audience and if you would like to be your very own mystery history guest we can make that happen. Uh, just email Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com and she can get with you about all the details on how to have your chart read or chart of uh, anyone special to you. Uh, mom, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yes, I just want to say how much fun I'm having chatting with all of you and working with you on your charts and your transits and your synastry, which is you and another person. Um, I I love it. I I couldn't be happier <laughs> with um everyone that I have interacted with. I, I really enjoy it. And if you would, please just take a moment. You can reach all of our links if you go to www.historyandretrograde.com and you can get to the YouTube channel from there. You don't have to search anything. You just push the button and go to YouTube and please subscribe to our channel because we're working on trying to get that first nickel. And we cannot get that until we have at least 1,000 subscribers. So if you would please go subscribe, that would be totally awesome. And we would love it very much. And if the mood takes you and you feel like leaving a comment or a like on one of the videos, that would be awesome too. 
If you want to reach me, you can reach me from the website and you don't even have to type anything in. You just push the link. I look forward to hearing from you. And I just want everyone who I have already done your chart to know I love doing your charts and I had a great time with you and look forward to doing future charts for transits and newborns, etc. Yes, uh, thank you all so much for all the support that you've given us. Um, if uh, you haven't already, um, if you could please leave a rating. Uh, if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, this is a podcast all about stars. So those uh, five stars would really help us out. And uh, leave a written review if you can. Uh, all of that helps us in growing the show. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. As always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order, the stars are aligned. Everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Salile Creek Studios.